Hello, Night Nation, and welcome back to another episode of the Nightcap Podcast. We're here to review the Louisville game from Friday that did not go as any of us would have thought. Uh, we'll break it all down for you. I'm your host, Sean Stewart. I'm here with my co-host, Tony Cummings. I would normally ask you how you're doing, Tony, but I think I know. You sure do, man. I'm frustrated just like the rest of UCF Night Nation. Definitely weren't expecting this loss. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to thank everybody for being on this podcast, Episode 8 and supporting us, but please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UCF Nightcap. Thank you, Tony. And so today we're going to go ahead and break down the Louisville game from Friday night. Unfortunately, our UCF Knights took the loss at a score of 20-14 to 14 here at the Bounce House. Uh, we'll go through everything that happened in the game, uh, some of our standout performers, and maybe some of the things we thought didn't go as well as they should have. Um, and then we'll go ahead and break down the FAU game that's coming up this weekend give you some things to look out for and, and what to expect, but also the implications for this season as we kind of move through. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, yeah, we took the loss on Friday night, 20 to 14. Uh, you know, looking at the game, we thought that this would be one that we would start our revenge tour uh, with a win, uh, given everything we went through last year. But this one looked a lot more of the same. Um, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that I expected a win. I expected the revenge tour to start with a W. So it is disappointing that we lost this game. Uh, it really hurt last year when we lost Louisville because I really felt like we were the better team. I really thought we had that game. Crazy thing is we had a lot of injuries last year. We obviously lost Dylan Gabriel for the season. Uh, Tatum Batoon got hurt last year. Bowser got hurt. So those are some key players last year that got hurt in the middle of the game. Wow, deja vu again. This year, Ryan O'Keefe gets hurt. Gamble gets hurt. So those are two core players on our offense that got hurt this year. And Kobe Hudson missed the game because of some some personal matter, which you know we'll have to find out more on that. Yeah, definitely was an injury, but that was a big deal. Because the one thing, um, and this is part of not necessarily how I feel about the game, but you know, just speaking about JRP, um, you know, it's been two years since he's been a quarterback, so he's getting into the groove of things. But in his case, he needs all his weapons. So not having Kobe Hudson there, I felt like really hurt us as well this game. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out with the Kobe Hudson situation because we need him back. JRP needs all his weapons. Hopefully our guys are going to be healthy for next game. I know it's just FIU, um, but I don't want to underestimate, underestimate them as well. And we'll get into that later, uh, the details. But overall, you know, I expected a win. And... Um, it looked good in the beginning. You know, we had two touchdowns in the first half, 14-7. to seven. I, I'll let you go into more details about the game itself. But, I mean, at that point, I didn't think we weren't going to score a single touchdown or, or a field goal the rest of the game. So, you know, how do I feel? What are my thoughts? I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in the second half. I'm disappointed that we lost. And um, I don't think the sky is falling. I think we still have the rest of the season ahead of us. But this was a disappointing loss. Very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, really disappointing. You know, I think when we look back at this, I think the main thing I'm feeling is, you know, since the 2017-2018 season, I think UCF fans have started to really, for good reason, give the football team the benefit of the doubt. When we play tough games, we expect to win tough games, um, you know, against teams that are just as good. Um, you know, Louisville was one of the toughest games on our schedule. So, you know, losing here shouldn't have been a huge surprise, right? Before the season started, Malik Cunningham is a guy who had been considered a dark horse Heisman candidate. And I think he showed what some of that could look like here against UCF. Um, 
But I think, you know, now we've gone through multiple coaching changes and we're, we're staring at a team that I think it's time for us as a fan base to ask them to start proving some things to us. Uh, last year, our toughest games uh, did not go the way that they should in our regular season. And this year, we're starting off the same way. And we've got a bunch of tough games coming up this year. And I think it's, it's time to start asking the question, is this team talented enough to beat the teams that are the best on their schedule? Um, you know, I still think that they, they can get to eight wins for sure. Um, and maybe more, depending on how this team gels between now and then. But uh, I think it's fair now to say that maybe we've overestimated certain things about this team. To me, it, it starts with John Rice Plumlee in the O-line. Um, I think that the the crux of it for me is the amount of transfers that are starting on our offense right now. Um, and you compare it with the two sides of the ball. You know, we'll go into more detail about the defense, but you know, the fact that we had the ball twice at the end of the fourth quarter was a real testament to our defense, uh, giving us an opportunity to win. Twenty points in college football is great considering how often Louisville had the ball and how few uh, or how few um, possessions our offense were able to actually keep the chains moving. So given all that, uh, I agree. I don't think the sky is falling, but I think we need to see some serious adjustments on the offense. Uh, to me, really starting with, uh, can JRP prove that he's going to continue to improve as an actual quarterback, not just an athlete back there? And can our O-line with the transfers, can they gel? Because the combination of those two things, I think, lost us this game um, and really led to the the 10 straight possessions at the end, not scoring a touchdown. Um, you know, I know for you, you were uh, you were leaning more towards Keen in the offseason. What did you see from JRP, and, and how are you feeling about him now? Well, first thing I'm going to say is I don't think JRP is going to get replaced by Mikey Keen. I think Gus is going to roll with JRP, and we're going to just roll with it. So that's my expectations. I personally, I think Mikey Keene would have won the game uh, yesterday. I know that there's a take that the offensive line is so bad that Mikey Keene would have got murdered out there because he's sitting duck. But, you know, my thoughts are Mikey Keene is a more accurate quarterback. I felt that last year they had a leash on him since he was a true freshman and wasn't necessarily expected to play and had to learn the playbook on the go. So I felt like this year with the offseason under his belt that there was going to be a lot of growth as we saw it. Mackenzie Millen and Dylan Gabriel from freshman to sophomore, or even Blake Bortles from his sophomore to junior year, that jump. So I, I, you know, maybe I was being optimistic, but I felt that that was my thoughts, that there was going to be growth there and expectation. Um, so I know some people are comparing Mike King's freshman year to what he would have did this year. I think there would have been an improvement, personally. But, uh, and I, but the reason I say that even with the offensive line, uh, being challenging, I think Mike King would have done better because he would have been more of an accurate quarterback. He would have got the ball out faster, and the uh, defense would have had to respect him so they couldn't blitz all day long like they did in the second half and just uh, load the – stop the run. Because at some point, they shut down our offense because they knew that either JRP was going to run or we are going to run a running back or we are going to throw a, a, you know, a wide receiver on the in the backfield to try to do a quick play. So they kind of had that locked down, and – they stopped our offense the rest of the game, so there was no adjustments on our side. So that's a little bit disappointing, you know. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not like an expert coach or anything, but I'm kind of disappointed in our expert coach, Gus, to not make adjustments and kind of just doing the same old thing. There should have been adjustments because on the other side of the field, Louisville did make adjustments. We torched them in the first half, but they dominated us in the second half. That's a great point. You know, I think for me, you know, 
asking Gus to make some adjustments is, I think, completely fair. Regardless of how the O-line played, regardless of how Plumlee played or the injuries at wide receiver, in college football, Gus Malzahn is viewed as an offensive coach, a guy who is one of the best offensive minds in the game. I don't know very many offensive minds that are going to be happy with 10 consecutive possessions without points, regardless of who is on the field, right? Like, if you are this offensive mastermind, we need to start seeing some things being manufactured. And, and part of it, you know, we've got to be fair here. There were two long touchdowns that were called back, and there was a missed field goal, right? If you add those back in, you had 17 points to this score. We win 31 to 20. Oh, another story. I'm glad you brought that up. Totally different ballgame. So I'm right. glad you brought that up. So very different. Now, having said that, though, is it good to live and die by a couple of huge plays in in football? Or do you want a more efficient, consistent offense? I personally think that a more efficient, consistent offense mitigates some of the risk that comes from being a boomer bust offense. Now, And I was just going to add to that, and the reason I like that as well is because you, you wear down defense by the end of the game, mm-hmm. and then you can bomb them towards the end of the game. But when you just have these quick bombs, like you're saying, the defense is still fresh. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, the other thing I do wonder, right, and we're going into the O-line, and, and you know, there's some questions about how good they really are. Uh, you know, obviously I think a piece of that is the fact that we've got our two tackles are both transfers. So, you know, offensive linemen need to be able to communicate so that they can – you know, pick up blitzers and understand what's going on. Louisville spent the entire second half blitzing them repeatedly, and they had no problem getting into the backfield. Now, what I wonder is if that played a part in Keen not getting the job. If you listen to two main things that Gus said in the offseason, the first was that he wanted the quarterbacks to be live during training camp, but he could never actually let them be live. The second thing that he kept saying is that he had to guess where plays would end And that's what led him to picking JRP because when they're not live, you don't really know how a play would end because would they get sacked? You know, what would happen? That makes me believe that the O-line played really bad in training camp because if the O-line played really good and he thought that our quarterbacks were going to get protected, he probably lets them go live during one of the scrimmages. And he wouldn't have to guess what's going on because obviously if, Keen is clean in the pocket and he's making accurate throws in training camp, you don't have to guess how that play is going to go. And so thinking back, I think maybe we didn't take those two things for what they really were. We didn't, you know, and, and, you know, you just, you see the talent, you know, Ryan Swoboda played three years starting at Virginia. So you just assume it's going to transition over. Uh, Thailand gravel was an all American in his conference and you just think that's going to transfer over. But the one thing that I think, you know, we all forgot is that in sports, you need to gel. You know, you need time to gel. And the fall or spring, it's not enough time, you know. You're not really playing against a real team that's coming at you, scheming, you know, trying to, like, you know, do their best to come and attack you in different ways. And they're not they're, – they're, they're just coming at you, you know. You're not getting that on the practice field, you know. Mm-hmm. You're not getting that from your own teammates. They're not, you know, trying to hurt you or whatever. These guys on the other team, they don't care. They're trying to win the game. And these guys haven't really had time to gel. The quarterback hasn't been a quarterback for two years. They haven't been really able to see a true defense come at them. Um, so it's going to take some time. And because of that, I will say some positive notes on that, that – I, and I think Sean agrees. The reason I don't think the sky's falling is that there's only week two. 
You know, Louisville's a legit team, guys. Yeah, they lost to Syracuse. Syracuse is undefeated right now, and Syracuse is a legit team. I mean, I know that we don't pay attention to Syracuse, so and maybe the national media hasn't. But like I said, the, their coach is legit. They've been recruited. They've been building that program up, and they beat Louisville handily. But Louisville, just like Sean said, uh, their quarterback's a, a dark horse Heisman, and they got some talent over there. Louisville's a legit team. I mean, they're not going to win their conference, but they're still a legit team. They're just as good as us. I mean, they beat us. So uh, we we got to take into account that the season, we still got the season ahead of us. And these guys have time to gel. And hopefully it's all going to play out. So with that being said, even though I, I do like Mikey Keene, you know, I think that boat sailed for now. And I think JRP is the guy we got to stand behind. And, you know, that's who Gus believes is going to run this offense as we think he's the key to the offense i mean look the first half it was electric he was he was jumping over i'll tell you what he hurtled over a player that everybody went crazy over i mean that was beautiful i'm pretty sure if we won that would have been a highlight on espn so i mean he is very talented we just need to make sure we have all our weapons the offensive line is gelling so you know i feel like there's still optimistic optimism for the rest of the season and these guys are talented i don't i don't think that they're, they're not but I think the bottom line is they're not – they're obviously – they're not gelling. They're not communicating. They're just – they're figuring it out as we go. So that's that's disappointing. And that, that's another thing we got to talk about. That's a bad thing we're bringing in these transfers. You know, when you're bringing in transfers, they're not gelling with the team. They're not homegrown players that have been with us. And that's going to affect it. So this whole transfer thing, this whole new thing in college football, this is the negative part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you said that because – he brought in a lot of talent on the transfer portal. I don't think anybody would question that. And, you know, if you look at each player on their own, um, we were all extremely happy that they transferred here. And I think they're all great players. But, you know, when you compare what the offense looked like to the defense, and I think we were doing this right before as we were going through the two deep, most of the two deep on offense are transfers. I mean, our quarterback, uh, you know, our running backs, I mean, they were here last year, but again, Bowser's a transfer. You look at our receivers, Kobe Hudson, Javon Baker, our two tackles, Kamore Gamble, like all these guys are transfers. And individually, they're great, but when they're all trying to learn a brand new offense, our quarterback is trying to learn how to play quarterback again. I think it's reasonable to expect that it'll take some time. And so in a season that we're hoping we don't lose to teams like Louisville, you know, we're watching that kind of unfold. Now, flip side, we looked, we did that same look at the defense. Most of our starters are homegrown starters that have been here at least two, three years. And it's clear that they are meshing. It's clear that they have improved year over year. And it's not that we've just infused them with all this brand new talent and they're better than last year. It's that the guys that were here last year are also here again this year and they're better for it. And so when I compare the offense, the offense went 10 possessions without allowing a without scoring a touchdown. Now, going 10 possessions without scoring a touchdown, but then still being in position to win the game with a minute and a half left, that's our defense in my mind. They did everything they could. Did they play perfect? No. But they did everything they could to give our team an opportunity to win this game. And I think that continuity is is a huge part of that. What do you think of the defense? I mean, honestly, you took the words out of my mouth. I think everything you said was spot on. Uh, kudos to the defense. They did great. All the guys did great. The only question I have, and it's a personal question, I get that you have to, and we have a lot of talent on defense. That might be a reason. I know that you want to switch linemen to keep them fresh, but we do have some guys that are more talented than others. I kind of felt like I wish they would get more playing time. I mean, I haven't broken down the playing time of each player yet, so I got to look into that. But just from the watching the game live, being there, 
I just felt there was a lot of defensive rotation where I'd like to see some more of our talented guys get more points. That's just my opinion. I mean, maybe I'm comparing it to NFL where you see a, a defensive lineman play 75% of the game. I don't think any of our guys got 75% of the playing time on the defense on the defensive line. And I'm speaking more of the defensive line. The DBs are pretty much set, and they're, they're not really rotating as much. But on the D-line, I feel like uh, some of the guys that we have are more talented than others, and they should probably play a little bit more. So that's my only take. But I'm just nitpicking right now because overall our defense is great overall. And they definitely gave us a shot to win. And they, they did that last year. Last year, honestly, we came down to some close games. And almost the same story. Like, our offense wasn't, you know, clicking and we weren't scoring. So, the defense had to win the game for us. And they almost did this game as well. So, kudos to the defense. So, that's my thoughts overall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point, I mean, you know, we were talking about this before. That we, that you would like to see some of our playmakers on the defensive line get out there more often. And, you know, one of the ones we talked about is Traymond Morris-Brash. He, again, he you know, two games in a row, he is in the backfield. When he's on the field, he's making a difference. Um, You know, he's a great player that. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the rest of his season goes. You know, another thing that I saw, too, we mentioned from the last game watching the the night position, our starters, Justin Hodges, back up Nakai Martinez. Justin Hodges got another sack in this game. Um, you know, he's playing really well, and they're, it's clear they're moving him around the field, and it's probably really tough for the other offense to try to account for what he's going to do on any given play because he could be coming right after the quarterback. He could be dropping into coverage. You don't know. So I really like how that plays uh, with the way our, our defense uh, played. And I know that if you look at the stats, 17 carries, 121 yards for Malik Cunningham looks like a really bad day. But if you take out his you know 40-plus yard touchdown, we actually had a much better day containing him than we did last year. Last year he had 13 carries for uh, he had 13 carries for 99 yards and a touchdown and or two touchdowns. And this year, without that long touchdown run, he had 80 yards on 16 carries. So I mean much lower average, much better job containing him. Um, you know, again, you take away that one touchdown. I mean, they don't even they don't even pass the 14 points that we're disappointed in. So, I mean, overall, I thought the defense played great. To me, the other phase of the game, our, our worst phase of the game in my mind is special teams. <laughs> um, I am very disappointed in our special teams um, all the way around. Uh, I, I have, have a lot of questions about the choices we're making at kicker. I have a lot of questions about the choices we're making at punter. Um, you know, we're, we're bobbling snaps in the end, or we're bobbling uh, kickoffs in the end zone. Uh, it's just clear. Uh, penalties, I mean, we'll, we'll go into penalties as a whole. I think that was a huge story of the game. But why are we not seeing different kicking options? Uh, you know, Obarski was not great last year, and I think that was very well known. And now he has yet to make a field goal. This season, he's at zero percent, and I'm watching Riker Casey bomb kickoffs through the end zone almost every single time he's out there, and we have a five-star freshman in Colton Boomer. I gotta know why are none of them getting an opportunity to kick field goals? It literally can't get worse than zero percent. Yeah, I mean that's that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I tried to give the guy a benefit of the doubt last week. I know that he was getting trashed. And, uh, you know, but honestly, Daniel Orbuski should not play anymore for this team. I hate to say that, um, but the, the truth is 0%, two games. You know, this has been going on. For, this is going to be year three. This isn't just last year. This is year three, bad track record. I mean, his confidence is in, in the dumpster. I mean, come on, man. 0% already. I mean, we're counting on you. It affects the whole offense. You know, uh, there's always jokes. Oh, the kickers, ha, ha, ha. No, the kickers are very important for football. And 
it changes the whole scheme of the offense when you can't count on your kicker to kick a field goal. Then it makes you have to go on fourth. And it, not just that, and the defense knows that now. The defense is like, ah, you know, they can't, they can't, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to try to kick a field goal. So that puts even more pressure on our offense. So, yeah, the special teams is letting us down. They seem very undisciplined, not making the right decisions. So we definitely need them to step up. Coach Blackman, I'm not sure, you know, what's going on there with his decision-making. I don't know if Gus is letting him have too much power in that department. But if that's the case, Gus needs to help uh, Blackman make some better changes moving forward. I mean, yeah, Riker Casey is my opinion who should be kicking going forward. Only because Colton Boomer, not just because he's a true freshman, but I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if he's injured. I mean, they said he's injured. So if that's the case, then he's not really an option right now unless he's healthy. But Ryan, Riker Casey from New Samara Beach, by the way, he seems like the best option to go forward. I mean, please tell us how you love his uh, kickoff returns. Well, I mean, you know, it's – I don't know the exact number. I mean, he was 8 of 9 against South Carolina State in terms of touchbacks, right? And as a kicker, that proves your leg, right? Getting it from the kickoff tee to the end zone is a long way. Not a lot of college kickers can do that consistently. But – if you've got that kind of leg, to me, the only reason you're not kicking field goals is because you just can't make one in practice. And I, I have a hard hard time believing that Riker Casey is having that much of a problem making field goals, considering the problems we're seeing Obarski have, right? Like, if we were comparing it to a guy that was going 75%, 80% on his field goals, and you really want 90%, okay, I understand the inherent risk of changing your kicker. But we're not. We're talking about a guy who cannot make a kick. This kick he missed in this game... This is really where I'm coming from. Anytime you get side out of 40 in, in college, you would like for your kicker to make it, but it's hard. Anything over 50, you're lucky if your kicker can make it. This one was only 32 yards. If your kicker can't make a 32-yard field goal, he can't make field goals. That's what it is. There's not much left on the field to do that. I mean, that's kicking from the 15. Yeah, I think it's time to move on from Daniel Orbusky. Unfortunately, he just he's, he's proven that he is not a legitimate kicker. And, yeah, it's time for us to move on. We got some other options. We have to go that route. We just, we just do. And I think the other thing, too, about our special teams, and, you know, Andrew Osteen's been our punter for a little while, and I don't think he's a terrible punter by any means, but I think that he's an inconsistent punter who kind of sometimes puts us in bad positions in terms of field position. I mean, just in this game alone, I mean, he averaged 38 yards on punts, which was 10 full yards less of an average to the Louisville punter. So that means that if we both punt, Louisville gains 10 yards on us. So another aspect of special teams that is really putting us at a disadvantage. We're missing field goals. We're fumbling, uh, you know, catches on the kickoffs. And then our punter is costing us some some disadvantage. And then we're also seeing tons of penalties. Yeah, and we both sat in different sections for this game. And we both had, we both had two funny stories. We're not going to go into detail of the stories. Um, but I had a gentleman that was uh, about, uh, I don't know, maybe 55 years old, uh, I'm guessing, sitting a couple rows or a row right behind me. And he was, like, pretty confident that uh, he had some eligibility. He could kick he could kick the punt better. So the, the crowds, were they were feeling like they could do better than our college uh, punter. So uh, you had a funny story, too. We won't go into detail about it. But, yeah, all around, everywhere we were sitting, everybody was talking about the uh, how they could punt better than our punter. So... That's not that, that doesn't bowl well when the fan base thinks they can kick better than you. So I mean, our punter's not doing that great. 
Our kicker's not doing that great. The only player that's doing great is Riker Casey uh, for our kickoff returns. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see the coming weeks. Do we see a change or are we just going to keep rolling Obarski out there? And to be honest, I mean, you know, we do have right now as a commit for next year, the number one kicker in the country coming out of high school is committed to come to UCF next year, Grant Reddick. And so maybe they're just thinking we'll wait it out. But I'm thinking, you know what? I don't think there's anything to lose to try one of these other kickers. Um, you know, Colton Boomer's hurt. That's fine. Try Riker Casey. But try something. And Riker Casey sat out last year. So he had a whole year under his belt. He, he, he knows the playbook. He's not a new transfer, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel very confident in Riker Casey getting more opportunity moving forward. Love to see Colton Boomer out there. But, you know, he's still a true freshman. Riker Casey has a year ahead of him in the playbook. And from what I'm seeing with his kickoffs, he's looking great. Definitely. And, you know, we were just talking about special teams. One of the biggest issues we were having on top of the kickers was our penalties. But I think that really extends to the entire team. Um, You know, I'm not going to sit here and blame the refs. Uh, If if you actually look at the box score, Louisville actually had one more penalty than we did. Um, So it's not like the refs called a completely uneven game. But I will say that the penalties we got were massive compared to the ones that Louisville had. Uh, Most notably, we had a 57-yard Johnny Richardson touchdown that was called back because of penalty. And then late in the game, we had that long touchdown pass to Javon Baker that was also called back. And so, you know, two long touchdown passes that would have totally changed the momentum of the game. The Richardson one happened when we were up 14-7 to in the second quarter. Had that one gone through, it had been 21-7. to And in that case, you know, Louisville didn't even get to 21 points. Yeah, let's just stay in that, in that, in that time frame, in that, that uh, series. So we end up... And I had somebody ask me about the crowd. They were saying how the crowd got deflated. Honestly, yes, the crowd did get deflated because we scored this amazing touchdown. And I saw it live. I couldn't see the, the penalty. I re-watched the game. I still couldn't see the penalty. I mean, I saw the offensive lineman kind of have his hands on him. But I didn't think it was outrageous to be a penalty. I didn't think it was, like, that severe. But whatever. The referees called the penalty. So we lose that touchdown. Then we get down there, and we're in a good position to kick a field goal to take us up 17-7 to and still give us momentum because I'm all about positive yardage. I'm all about putting points on the board. I don't even care if it's a field goal. Just keep putting points on the board. Put pressure on the other team. And at that point, we would have had three scores against one, and our kicker misses the field goal. I mean, and then that really deflated because it's like we lost a touchdown. And we lost the field goal. So what was the point of this whole series? And then we go into the half, and I really feel like that really affected the game. That series. I know they say you shouldn't, you know, count, you know, just one player or whatever. But I felt like that series definitely was a swing because we really did have the momentum. I felt like we were going to be crushing Louisville at that point. And then after that, whew, I don't know, momentum swing. Yeah, those momentum swings were huge. That one, to me, was the biggest one. If they If they allow that... To, to happen, the touchdown. And if we're up 21-7. to seven. Louisville has the ball. We get the ball at, at the start of the third quarter. So thinking about it, I remember thinking when it happened, like, okay, we're going to start pulling away. And then from that moment on, we never looked the same. And, you know, a couple things changed, um, you know, in my mind. First, uh, you know, sometime before the end of the first half, Ryan O'Keefe got hurt. Um, so I think that made a big difference. Uh, you know, before he left, he actually was uh, was playing really well. He had uh, he had four receptions and he had a carry. The carry was for 27 yards. 
you know, so I think that affected things. But to me, this goes down to also how the game was called after that point. It was very clear that Louisville was going to blitz. It was very clear that they were going to try to stop running up the middle. And why did we only allow one sweep from Ryan O'Keefe and five to five rushes from Johnny Richardson? Those were our two most electric playmakers. I know O'Keefe left the game. But in the second half, why weren't we giving the ball to Richardson more? I mean, John Rice Plumlee had 17 attempts. Isaiah Bowser had 15. Johnny Richardson had five. Okay. Plumlee averaged 4.9 per carry. Isaiah Bowser averaged 3.4. Johnny Richardson averaged 9.4 yards per carry on five carries. I need to understand why that adjustment wasn't made at halftime to say they're taking away the middle run. Let's get some of our playmakers that are still in the game the ball on the outside. If it didn't work, fine. But I'm sorry, five touches is not enough for Johnny Richardson. And also... Let's like you said. Let's keep the playmakers in, but let's let's adjust to the the line. Let's add some tight ends there to help out with the blocking. You know, let's let's adjust. We did not adjust for sure. It just it was a perfect storm of problems on offense. You know, I think the play calling left something to be desired. The lack of adjustments at halftime, like I said, uh, you know, we had some injuries that again we we weren't seeing tons of adjustments. Um, you know, to the personnel that was coming in. Uh, you know, we had drops. We had penalties. We had some battle line play. We had missed throws. I mean, there were plenty of throws that JRP could have had that would have gotten us some first downs or, you know, that would have gotten us some touchdowns that ultimately just weren't great throws. Um, so perfect storm. You know, I think there's a lot that, that went in to, to doing that. Um, you know, one thing I did say or I did see that I think could ultimately be a positive for us in the future, not as much in this particular game, was with the injuries, we got to see Townsend on the field a lot in the second half. And, um, you know, I think he's he has some juice to him that I think if he can get some experience, that could go a long way in the future. Maybe not right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Xavier Townsend, he's the real deal. I mean, he's already proved it in two games. So, yeah, looking forward. I mean, he's already on a two-depth depth chart, so, you know, too deep. So, he's yeah, he's pretty much uh, part of the future of the team. So, keep an eye out and remember that name, Xavier Townsend. But one thing before we move on is I want to, again, talk about how important kickers are. If you think about it, we scored two touchdowns, and Louisville also only scored two touchdowns. They beat us by kicking two field goals. By So those additional six points was the two field goals that their kicker made. Yeah, so that's just how important a kicker is. We lost by two field goals, by two kicks, because they only scored two actual touchdowns like we did. But they also kicked two field goals, and we kicked zero. So the kicker is important. And I don't keep emphasizing that that, it, that there needs to be a change there. Of course, of course. You know, I think another thing about this game too. I think, you know, as UCF fans, I think our fan base is very used to us winning and us having a, a really explosive offense that you know can can take over games. And we just didn't see that in this game. Um, and I think that. Uh, that's something we need to be looking for as we move forward is does this team improve as they start to gel? Um, you know, but I think it's also fair to take this game for what it is. Um, you know, the sky is for sure not falling. Um, we are not a bad team. I would argue that for most for long stretches of this game, we were a better team that just didn't capitalize on the opportunities we had. I mean, like you said, if that field goal goes in, then that when we got down into uh, that fourth and goal, we could kick a field goal 
to tie the game. Any one of those touchdowns go in, and we're winning. You know, I mean, so many things that just go this way or that way, we end up winning this game. So, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about, but also some things to be critical about. That's part of college football, and, uh, you know, I think I think we're, we're going to see how it goes. Um, you know, I agree with what you said about Keen. I think that, you know, maybe he is a better passer, but maybe he'd be a sitting duck back there, but I don't think we'll ever know. Um, I think that he's going to – they're going to ride with JRP and see how it goes. Um, but disappointing game, to, to say the least. But I'm sorry. I just wanted – yeah, definitely a disappointing game, but I wanted to add that – look, let's look at the national picture too. We weren't the only ones that took a loss yesterday. Texas A&M lost. Nebraska lost. Notre Dame lost. But think about the teams they lost to, too, right? Good point. Like, Louisville is a team that we knew going into the season was going to be tough. Notre Dame lost to Marshall. App State is the one who beat Texas A&M. And not to take that away, App State's a great team. But, again, Texas A&M, being a top-five recruiting class for how many years in a row now, should not be losing to a team like App State. Um, you know, Scott Frost, the troubles he's having, he lost to Georgia Southern. Um, you know, so when you think about that and think about how college, I mean, the Gators lost yesterday. Um, Alabama almost lost. Alabama almost lost, right? 24 seconds, they would have lost that game. It's clear that not all these teams are clicking on all cylinders. And I think it's also important to remember that all of our goals are still in front of us, right? Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Of course, we wanted to make the college football playoff. But even if we had gone undefeated, the reason that Cincinnati made the college football playoff last year wasn't just because they went undefeated. It's because they had a win on the road against a top 10 team in Notre Dame. That Notre Dame was just sitting on the outside of the college football playoff. And the only reason they didn't make it, in my mind, is because they're lost to Cincinnati. And we don't have anybody on our schedule like that. No. If we run the table, our best wins are going to either be in the American, which, let's be real, don't they don't get the respect from the voters that they should. Or it's Louisville or Georgia Tech, which is not enough to wow a college football playoff committee. Totally so, agree. So when you think about that, our main goals for the year were win the conference and get the New Year's six spot for the group of five. And that's all still in play. It is. If we win our, our next two games are against FAU and Georgia Tech, and I think that's going to that's gonna say a lot about us because we should win those games. And if we do, we go into the conference three and one and – we can win the conference. If we win the conference, we'll probably get the New Year's Six Bowl game. So right. everything's still in front of us. Well, I got a curveball for you. All right, that sounds great and optimistic. Yep, the season's ahead of us. But based on what you've seen in the last two games, based on this offense, yes, we're hoping there's going to be adjustments. We're hoping there's going to be change. We're hoping the team gels. But now, what's your prediction on the rest of the season? What 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 teams – how are you looking at the schedule now? Because we looked at a – the preseason before the season started and obviously we always you know let's be real we're UCF fans we're UCF supporters so we're drinking that Kool-Aid but where are we at now we're two games in there's a nice small sample size to look at so I think that looking at our schedule right now um I remember I I predicted us to lose to SMU Mm -hmm. I would still probably do that Mm -hmm. um and now I think we might I would probably pick Cincinnati to beat us. Yep, I would too. Um, and then the other tough game for us, in my mind, is ECU. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's a toss-up now. Um, and so, to me, that's our worst case. Because, look, I so, mean... So, right there, if we lose those three games, let's assume we do. And then, um, at this point, I mean, anything can change. This is college football. I mean, hope, hey, we can still go undefeated. But let's just say, in this scenario, we lose these three games. 
Well, we can't go undefeated. We lost the one game to Louisville. But I meant in conference we can yep. go undefeated. But let's say we lose these three games plus this Louisville game. That takes us what, eight and four? Yep. Still a respectable season. That's what we were last year. Yep. Yep. Still a respectable season. Um, but that, that could be worst case scenario. And that's not horrible. That's not horrible. I, I would still – I wouldn't be super go-lucky happy about those results. But, you know – We've been supporters since the O'Leary days and even before that. So, with that being said, you know, we're looking at the big picture. I know some of the newer fan base is just looking at, you know, what we've done since 2017. And this is extremely horrible because we can go undefeated. But that's not realistic. That's not college football. It's not realistic to go two years in a row and undefeated. Um, so, you know, we're going to, you know, be realistic here. And 8-4 and four is still a respectable season. But that's not what we want, but that's worst-case scenario we're thinking. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in college football, that's what happens. I mean, look at how FSU's been the last few years. I mean, they won a national championship in 2013, and I don't think anybody is thinking that they're close to that right now. It happens. Yep. The only teams that don't deal with that are the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States. That's it. Everybody else has to deal with this. Even Notre Dame, you know, they just went through a whole coaching change, and everybody came in, and they're like, they're a top-10 team. They're 0-2. Yeah, they're not looking that good. You know what I mean? It, that's what happens in college football. You never stay at the top forever. You are not going to win 10, 11, years every, or 10, 11 games every single year. It's about making the adjustments and being honest with yourself so you can make those adjustments. You know, you don't want to drink the Kool-Aid for too long until it's too late. And I think that's important for us. To, and, and to me, the predictions the rest of the season go back to what I said at the beginning. UCF over the last few years has spoiled us to where we can expect them to win big games. Well, the last two years have proven we cannot expect that. We have to; They have to prove it again, that they are a different team than they were last year, that we can win the big games, not just the ones they're supposed to win, but the big games that really matter, where the other team is just as good or better. Can you figure out a way to win those games? And that's this year. We're going to see it at SMU. We're going to see it at ECU. We're going to see it at Cincinnati. And those three games are going to go a long way towards determining how good of a season we actually have. Best case scenario is that John Rice Plum Lee starts to improve, which I expect he will. I mean, he's not going to just be the same guy that he is now um, by the end of the year. He's going to continue to improve. And speaking about the Kool-Aid, let's go back to Gus's comment on the press conference. He said, hey, guys, let's, you know, let's, like, pipe it down a little bit. This guy hasn't played quarterback for two years. He's adjusting. He's in a real live game right now. So you're right. You know, mm-hmm. even Gus has said, like, guys, let's be more realistic here. Let's be more realistic. Let's not just, you know, go one direction to the left or to the right. Let's just stay here in the center. And that's mm-hmm. what I think you're saying. And the O-line, too. Like, you know, I expect the O-line to get a little better at communicating. The longer they play together, the more film they can watch of them making certain mistakes and make sure they don't make those mistakes again. Worst case scenario is this is who we are. And, yeah, we'll beat Temple and we'll beat a, a few of these other teams that are on our schedule. Like, I expect we'll beat FAU and Georgia Tech is one of the lower on the lower side of the ACC right now. So I expect we can win that game. But, again, the big games, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all uh, plays out. Um, you know, hopefully this team can start to gel and really, uh, really show Gus's vision. Um, but, you know, it's to be determined. Um, anything else you want to add about the Louisville game before we jump into FAU? No, I think it's time to jump into FIU, and I'll get started with that. So what I will say is I don't want to be negative Nancy, but, uh, yeah, so let's get started with the FAU recap. And I will say that they have a good offense, and they have a legit quarterback. And if you have a legit quarterback and you have a dynamic offense, 
they got a shot. So I don't want, again, our fan base to just assume the FAU is just going to be an easy, you know, game. Uh, just a, you know, a, a, this isn't an FCS team. FAU is still a, you know, a team in the FES. And like I said, good offense, good quarterback. They've had a couple of years to keep recruiting and making that team stronger. And they're playing at home. And come on, their fan base, their team wants to beat UCF. They've marked this game on the calendar. They want to beat us. So what I'm saying is they're not a cupcake. Should we win? Yes. If we lose, yes, the sky is falling if we lose to FAU. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I, the, the, Yeah, I don't know what to say if we lose to FAU and uh, two, two games in a row losing. But we are expected to win this game, and we should win this game. But I just want to put it out there. Don't assume FAU is just going to be a cupcake. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, look, if this team is who we say they are, this is this should be one of our easier games on the schedule, period. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from FAU. They they definitely are a, a good team. I mean, they're 2-1. and one. Uh, The teams that they've played, they've beaten Charlotte 43-13. Uh, they've, they've lost to Ohio. Uh, 41 to 38 and then they just this weekend beat southeastern louisiana 42 to 9 now those teams that they're playing are not top-notch opponents um but they do have some talent on fau uh, most notably their quarterback is Nikosi perry who's a transfer from miami he actually won the starting job at miami um until he ended up transferring um in this last game against uh southeastern uh, Louisiana. He was 18 to 30 for 259 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. But the big thing is that they can clearly run the ball. There, there are two starting running backs, uh, Mobley and McCannon. McCammon. Uh, Mobley had 20 carries, 146 yards, one touchdown. Uh, McCammon had 15 carries for 125 yards and a touchdown. So two running backs uh, went clear over 100 yards with touchdowns in this last game. So for us, the key, as always, is going to be being able to stop the run. Um, and being able to force them into long situations that we can get after the quarterback, which, uh, you know, our defense was able to do that with Louisville. So if they can do that again, I mean, I think that we can have a really good game against FAU. Big question is, where's our offense? Can we consistently run the ball? Can we do what we need to do? Can we make the passes on third down that keep the chains moving? Can we avoid the costly penalties? That's, to me, the biggest thing I want to see in FAU is, like, can we get our penalties down? Two weeks in a row. You know, and that's the most frustrating thing. It's super deflating as we talked about, you know, that touchdown that was taken back. The whole stadium felt it. The team felt it. Uh, We can't have those kind of crushing penalties, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how much that's harped on this week. Agreed. Well said. But I think, too, this is another – this is a chance for us as a fan base to see what UCF is made of. I expect them to be angry. I expect them to come out and, you know, really punch them in the mouth from the second the game starts. Go down there, and this is our house. We're not going to take anything. Score on the first drive. Stop them. Score on the second drive. Stop them. Like, I want to see some things like that. Because if not, we get to start questioning this team's killer instinct. We get to start questioning. Because Louisville, they scored on their first drive after they got blown out by Syracuse. They played tough in this game, and it was clear that they were here to win. Let's see that killer instinct from UCF this week. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, after that, we've got Georgia Tech. And then we go into conference play. So huge, huge two weeks for the UCF Knights to really show what they're made of and send us into conference play with uh, with some momentum. Yeah, for sure. You know, FAU, Georgia Tech, um, like I said last podcast, let's not underestimate any of these teams. 
Because, look, Georgia Tech played well against Clemson. FAU's been playing well. Their team's been gelling. Marshall beat Notre Dame. Nobody expected that. You know, what is it, the team that joins Georgia Southern, or which team that beat uh, Nebraska? Uh, Georgia Southern. Yeah, Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. Uh, who Texas A&M got beat by Appalachian State, but everybody knows they're a pretty legit team, but good for them. You know, they went up to Michigan and beat Michigan, and now they went up to Texas A&M and beat Texas A&M. <laughs> so good for that program. But, yeah, you know, that's the thing. The good thing about college football. You never know. You know, any given Saturday, any given uh, weekend game, or Thursday, I guess not Thursday, Friday or Saturday game, you know, any college football team has a shot. So that's what it's all about. Let's just hopefully our team puts it together and gets another W for us and we get back on track because that's the goal here. Absolutely. Uh, so looking forward to this Friday, um, you know, actually this Saturday, sorry, coming up September 17th at 7.30 p.m. The UCF Knights will take on uh, the Florida Atlantic Owls uh, down at FAU. Uh, I think we'll have a pretty large UCF contingent heading down to the game if you if you are so inclined. Uh, it should be a great environment, a lot of fun. Uh, if not, there should be plenty of watch parties around here at UC, uh, around UCF. So go partake and, and support the Knights. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting back together to recap that game. Um, hopefully, it's a much better, much better mood, much better situation. Um, but with that, that'll do it for the Nightcap Podcast. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully, we'll have uh, many, many more games to celebrate. Uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Scott for our Toast of the Nightcap. Thank you, Sean. This week's Toast of the Nightcap um, really isn't a toast. Night Nation, tip your glass over and pour some out for first loss of the season. So it goes. We'll see you next week at FAU. Follow us on social media at UCF Nightcap.